Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Piki mai kākei mai. I'm Alison Balance and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ. The first baby to be conceived through IVF or in vitro fertilisation was born in 1978. Since then, well over 8 million people worldwide have been conceived through IVF or other reproductive technologies. But there's a high failure rate and Victoria University of Wellington's Janet Pittman is doing her bit to develop a new test that she hopes will more easily detect embryos carrying too many chromosomes. In the story, Janet and I talk about a video that shows an embryo having cells removed for pre-implantation genetic testing. You'll find a copy of that video on our webpage. Just head to rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld and search for embryo. Here's reproductive biologist Janet explaining her interest in this area. I got interested in aneuploidy in human embryos. So what aneuploidy is is an incorrect number of chromosomes in a cell. And 50% of human embryos actually have an incorrect number of chromosomes in their cells. And most of them are embryonic lethal. And so what it does is it contributes significantly to pregnancy loss. So that's all those early miscarriages that a lot of women have. That's right, that's the principal cause of those early miscarriages. But actually it becomes a real problem in a fertility clinic, as you can imagine, because they're producing embryos in a culture dish, and 50% of them are never going to equate to a baby. And so there are some, some tests that they do to detect aneuploidy, but they're very invasive. I've actually got a video of one if you'd like to see it. Well, I'd love to have a look, and then we can describe to the listeners what we're what we're looking at. Exactly. But just before we do that, aneuploidy, just explain that a bit more to me. So if that's the wrong number of chromosomes, I think most people like me would probably think of Down syndrome. That's right. So that is the most common and well-known aneuploidy, and that's because it is a survivable form. And it really is the only survivable form in which individuals live for a long period of time. So in that case, it's, what, three copies of a chromosome instead of two? That's right. So chromosome 21. Um, in Down syndrome people, there are, there are three chromosomes instead of two. That's absolutely right. There's another couple of aneuploidies that are fairly common that you see in a fertility clinic, and that is trisomy. So trisomy means an extra chromosome of chromosome 13 and 18. So trisomy 13, 18, and 21 are the real, I guess, problematic um, aneuploidies because they are not embryonic lethal. So trisomy 13 and 18 actually can develop into a baby, but they generally generally um, have a very short lifespan of one to two years, which is incredibly traumatic, obviously. And then Down syndrome people have some intellectual and physical limitations as well as some health problems as well. So if you are in a fertility clinic and you've created a number of embryos, how are you going to test whether one of them has aneuploidy? What do you do? So there is a test available which is optional called pre-implantation genetic testing for aneuploidy. And so basically these people are consenting 
to the fertility clinic to undertake this test. And as I mentioned, it is, it's quite invasive. So we have a video of it here. And so what we can see here is this is an embryo. And I'll just take you through um, exactly what the embryo looks like. So this is actually the latest stage of development an embryo can be in in a culture dish. After this point in time, it has to go into a uterus. So how many days old is this then? So this will be uh, around about five to seven days old. So what we have here is, is a blastocyst, which is the latest stage of embryonic development in a culture dish. And we have here a coating around the embryo called uh, zona pellucida. And so to do this test, um, it's basically cutting open the zona pellucida and extracting some cells from the blastocyst. So how many cells does the blastocyst have at it this has, point? It has a lot of cells. So it's multiplied it's, and multiplied. It's multiplied and multiplied. So there are two compartments to a blastocyst. There's sort of this clump of cells in the, in the middle called the inner cell mass. And those cells are destined to become all the tissues in our bodies. So they are what we would call the embryo proper. And then there's a single layer of cells you can see around the outside of this embryo, and that's called the trophectoderm or the trophoblast. And those cells are destined to become the placenta. And those are the cells that they take for the pre-implantation genetic testing for aneuploidy. So if we just play this video, what we can see is there's a suction pipette on the other side of the blastocyst that holds it in place. And then you can see this laser cutting through the zona pellucida, and this glass pipette coming in and sucking out, it's generally around four to six uh, trophectoderm cells, so those cells that form the placenta. So those cells will then be popped into a tube um, and sent off to a diagnostic lab for next-generation sequencing usually. It takes quite a lot of time, and, and you can see from this test how intricate it is, and so you have to be very well-skilled in a fertility clinic to be able to perform this test. And so because of all these reasons, it's actually really expensive. It costs over $1,000 per embryo to get tested. Which I imagine would be a barrier to a lot of people. It's a huge barrier, um, and also the invasiveness of the test. And so what that means is that only around 8% of couples that enter a fertility clinic opt in to have this test. So that means in over 90% of the couples or, or individuals that come in to get embryos generated, 50% of those are going to have no chance of developing into a baby. So that must be a significant contribution to what is in fact a low success rate for IVF. That's exactly right. So we could increase the success rate significantly if we can get uh, more of these embryos tested or a better way of testing it. And so one of the disadvantages of this test also is that you can see sort of how traumatic it can be. It's very disruptive for to an the embryo. embryo. That's yeah. right. And so a lot of people are delaying having children. The maternal age of having a child is increasing. We're, we're well into um, the 30s now for the average age of your first child. So unfortunately, um, this also impacts on aneuploidy rate because aneuploidy significantly increases with maternal age. And so those women that are actually approaching 40 and above may have a 70 to 80% of their embryos being aneuploidy. Now, when we do these tests on these embryos, they're often a little bit lower quality and they're not quite as resilient as, as embryos from, from younger women. And so they can fail due to the test. There's just a higher risk of, of those, lower, those lower quality embryos undergoing this kind of testing. So the testing is risky, it's complicated, it's expensive. 
um, and you are interested in seeing if there are better ways of doing it. That's right. So we have been aware for some time that the embryo communicates with the uterus, so they kind of send these little signals to each other. I guess the embryo is saying, here I'm coming, get ready. And so what they do is they actually get rid of some genetic material in these membrane-enclosed vesicles, and they excrete them out of the cell, or secrete them out of the cell. And so what we're wanting to do is see whether we can actually take the media in which these embryos are cultured in and find genetic material in there that will be indicative of aneuploidy. Ah, so you wouldn't have to touch the embryo at all. You wouldn't all. touch the embryo at all. You would just take a little bit of media and and test it for DNA or RNA. How do you go about doing that? So what we're doing, first of all, is seeing if we can detect these membrane-enclosed vesicles in the secretions from embryos. So these are the little signalling bodies, really? These are, yes, that's right. So and, and the really great thing about these little vesicles, and they're called exosomes, is that they completely preserve the contents within them. So there's nothing within an exosome that can destroy the RNA or whatever that, that is in these in these vesicles. And so in actual fact, they are very robust and, and very accurate in the information that they hold. Uh, so we have got a Down syndrome mouse model that we are using for this work. Because you obviously can't work with human embryos. We can't work with human embryos. I do collaborate with Fertility Associates. Um, I'm incredibly lucky to uh, have a PhD student um, in my group. He is an ex-clinical embryologist from Fertility Associates, so she brings all of those skills with her. And so what we can do, though, is we can collect media that human embryos have been cultured in. So you're starting the work with your mouse model, with these mouse embryos with Down syndrome, Mm -hmm. and then you're comparing it to what you can get from the human embryo medium. That's right. So what we know so far is that the culture media that we have collected from embryos, not not in particular aneuploid embryos, but just normal embryos, do in fact secrete these exosomes. We have um, measured them. Now what we're wanting to find out is what's in them. And so what we're going to do is we're going to send these exosome contents away for next generation sequencing and that will let us know all of the genes and the numbers of copies of genes within each of these embryos and then what we're going to do is we're going to compare the embryos that have the correct number of chromosomes against the embryos that have um, an abnormal number of chromosomes and in particular in this case those that have that extra chromosome 21. So we're really interested in the genes that are on chromosome 21 to see whether they actually are expressed at a 1.5 fold higher rate than those in a normal embryo because there is three chromosomes instead of two. So who are the people who are doing the research with you? I'm really lucky to have a fantastic team. So I have a PhD student who I've already mentioned, uh, Melanie Olds. So she actually comes from Fertility Associates. The other person who actually co-leads this project with me is Dr Zara Messina-Clark. She did her PhD with me. Uh, on sheep embryos actually and then she went off to Michigan State University and worked on cattle embryos and then I was able to convince her to come back and work on this project with me together so we're going to be meeting those two down in the lab at the moment they're busy looking at some mouse embryos Oh, let's go and have a look Great, thank you So whereabouts are we, Melanie? We're in the um, tissue culture lab at the moment, and then next door we have our embryology lab where the embryos are 
are created and, and flushed and then they're brought in here to be cultured. Okay, so this is like the end of the process. Yes, that's right. Yeah, we've just got some incubators in here that are suitable for the growth of the embryos. So an incubator for an embryo has to be, what, a nice certain temperature and a certain humidity? Yes, that's right. And also the oxygen concentration and um, CO2 concentration need to mimic what's inside the uterus. So have you got any embryos in here at the moment? We do. Would you like to see them? I'd love a peek. (laughs) I don't think I've ever seen an embryo. So you popped it on the microscope. Could you see these with the naked eye? Not generally. They're fairly, fairly difficult to see. Yeah, about a fifth of a millimetre. So yeah. they're quite. They're just. Yeah, just. You just can't see them. Yeah. So this is a blastocyst. You can see that it's just beginning to hatch out of its shell there, um, and so it will continue to hatch out, and then. Obviously, if this was um, back inside the uterus, it would roam around for a couple of days and find a good spot to implant. So we've got um, these cells around the outside here. Those are called trophectoderm cells, and they're the part that makes the placenta, um, and they're the part that implants into the uterus. And then this ball of cells here in the middle, that's the inner cell mass. That's the part that makes the fetus. What is it about embryos that you find appealing? Well, first of all, embryology is, um, is just such a... A changing field and it's very exciting and it's really um, rewarding to be able to help people but as I, as you look at thousands of embryos you do start to find them very beautiful so this is um, this one here is definitely my favorite so what about it makes it your favorite it's got very clear trophectoderm cells so it almost looks like a little golf ball you can see all of those little cells there it does look very dimply like a golf yeah, ball yeah so it's just it's just got a lot of cells that are clear and crisp and um, yeah you can see all of everything's well defined so it's just a good quality embryo yeah, so the quality of embryos are graded in the fertility clinic. The really interesting thing about aneuploidy is they embryos often look the same, whether they are, have normal chromosome number or abnormal chromosome number. And that's, that's where the problem lies, is that it looks like a great embryo, but it's actually got no chance of surviving. This could be an aneuploid embryo or a euploid embryo, and you wouldn't know until you test it and see what's inside the cells. When the embryos are first flushed, they're at um, a cleavage stage, so there's just maybe two to four cells, and then we culture them on for several days until they reach this blastocyst stage. Yeah, so what we're hoping is that uh, we will test the length of incubation time required to get enough exosomes to be able to detect what the chromosomal makeup of the embryo is. So convenient time points might be day three um, but it may be that we've got to wait all the way to blastocyst development to actually get enough genetic material to uh, in the media to be able to be indicative of the chromosomal number in the embryo. And is that number of days the same for a mouse embryo as a human embryo or is it faster for a mouse? It's actually very similar which is um, great for this research because this is what we're obviously hoping to um, do it in humans as well and this is the stage this blastocyst stage is where human IVF labs will test the the embryo at the blastocyst stage and they just take a couple of cells from that trophectoderm that I was t- talking about so yeah so it's quite good they're a good model because they use the same culture media um, and they have very like the, almost exactly the same growth times in those first few days so very convenient. What are you keeping them in? What, what's the medium, the liquid that they're in? Ah, so this is continuous culture media. It's an Irvine solution. Each embryo has one drop um, so that we can obviously collect all those exosomes just from that one embryo. And the media is, just mimics what's in the uterus and in the 
um, follicular fluid and that kind of thing. It gives it all its nutrients it needs because it's self-sustaining for those first few days. So in terms of the size of the exosomes, if that thing is a fifth of a millimetre, they must be absolutely tiny. Yes, yes, they're, um, they're nanometers, in fact, in size, so they're quite small. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very, very small. Obviously, they need to be to escape out of a cell, but I've actually got a machine that can test the number of exosomes that are secreted from the embryos? Yeah, that's right. It's using nanopore technology, so when the exosomes um, run through that pore, it disrupts the charge and we can actually measure the size and concentration of what's going through there. And we've recently, well, we just got this machine and we have managed to measure um, exosome concentrations in a single media drop. Uh, So it's early days, obviously, we need to do a lot more of this, but it's quite promising that we've been able to... Uh, get a concentration from a single embryo. And are you talking about low numbers or quite high numbers? Definitely low numbers. There's obviously quite a bit less in a culture media than there would be in, say, blood or serum, but still measurable. So, Zara, what are you up to? One of the things that we need to do for this project is to be able to pick which embryos are um, aneuploid. And so one of the ways that we're doing that is developing a set of probes which we're going to use to test which embryos actually are aneuploid. So So can you describe what a probe is to me? Because I I think when you hear the word probe, it sounds like you're going to be stabbing things. It sounds bad, doesn't it? It does sound bad. So what does Uh, it actually involve? Yeah, so in this case we're talking about DNA probes. So we've made small DNA molecules and what we've actually been doing now is attaching fluorescent molecules to them. So in theory what we're going to try to do is use these fluorescent probes to pick out which of our embryos actually have extra chromosomes so are aneuploid. We know that in our trisomic Down syndrome mouse model they have an extra chromosome that's actually a fusion of chromosomes 16 and 17 so I've made two probes one for chromosomes 16 and 17 and in our aneuploid embryos they should show three fluorescent spots if they are aneuploid for each of the probes so that's theoretically what we're going to do they should glow brightly So there's quite a lot of things you have to develop when you're doing a project like this. That's right. So we have to actually develop the traditional methods, and and this is one of those traditional methods, before we can actually develop our exploratory method or our our innovative method. We don't want to send every single embryo off for next-generation sequencing. It takes a long time. It's very involved and it's very expensive. So what we're wanting is a a very quick look-see so that we can look at each embryo, look at the cells within those embryos, save a little bit of the embryo for our exploratory work and just determine whether that embryo is actually aneuploidy or euploidy, so normal chromosome number. Once we know that, then we know that when we take the other portion of that embryo, we know exactly what it is and, and we can compare the results that we get from our innovative methods with our traditional methods and make sure that they are they we have concordance between the two. I mean this really is something that there's very few publications in the literature on this so uh, there is some evidence that suggests that this is doable it's a very very new field but it's so required. The fertility clinics are just crying out for a better method of testing for aneuploidy and in particular a non-invasive method that's cheaper that more people will opt in for. That's the really important thing to try and increase the IVF success rate with using some sort of technology like this. Many thanks. Janet Pittman is a reproductive biologist at Te Heringa Waka, Victoria University of Wellington. We also heard from Melanie Olds and Zara Clark. I'm Alison Balance and this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ first aired on the 4th of March 2021. You can find photos and links at our webpage, 
rnz.co.nz slash Our Changing World. The subscription link for our free email newsletter is at the bottom of the page, as are a number of curated collections of our stories. Birds, Antarctica, the various voices of series that I've made, they're all there. We are SRNZ Science wherever you listen to podcasts, and there are plenty more podcasts at the Podcasts tab at rnz.co.nz. We hang about on Facebook and Twitter as RNZ Science. Many thanks for your company. Namihi. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.